Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, why was Roe v. Wade overturned? And what does it mean for US laws? Last week, the US Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in a landmark ruling that will allow individual states to ban or severely restrict access to abortion. More than 20 states are now making moves to limit access with some planning to ban termination from the moment of conception. While all states have said they will allow abortion to save the life of the mother, it's less clear what will happen in cases of rape or incest. Most, but not all, have said they will not prosecute someone for trying to end their own pregnancy. But there will be criminal penalties for providers and for those who try to help someone access an abortion. So what exactly will happen now in the aftermath of this ruling? And could it have implications for other rights in the US? To talk us through it, I'm joined by Dr. David Kenny, constitutional law expert and associate professor at the Trinity College School of Law. David, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I want to start at the beginning with Roe v. Wade. Can you tell us what the original ruling was about and what did it have to do with the US Constitution? Yeah, so Rowan Wade was one of these incredible landmark US Supreme Court rulings that really vastly changed the law and the society of the United States. So a judgment from 1973 of the US Supreme Court that held that the US Constitution in its 14th Amendment had a sort of implied right to privacy that extended so far as to include uh, termination of pregnancies or abortion up to the point of viability so the, the, the fetus was viable. And in doing that, it was following a line of case law which had recognized privacy rights in the US Constitution that protected things like the use of contraception. And the Roe judgment brought it further, taking it into the realm of abortion. And it really changed the law in almost all US states. Uh, very, very few states, perhaps two were very close, had. Uh, legal abortion regimes to the extent that Roe envisaged. So it was a really uh, landmark judgment, totally changed uh, the law in the US. And over the course of a couple of decades afterwards, really changed the politics and the society of the US as well, because it became so controversial and such a uh, flashpoint of political controversy in the US that it was constantly on the lips of US politicians. It also really changed the US Supreme Court because the question of whether or not a judge being appointed would want to uphold or perhaps overturn Roe became one of the most crucial questions that a judge would face if they were going to be appointed to the US Supreme Court. The Republican Party essentially made a concerted effort since the 1980s to appoint conservative judges that would be willing to overturn Roe. And this almost happened in 1992, a very famous case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The Supreme Court almost uh, overturned Roe and Wade, but uh, it was expected to in in many quarters, but instead just sort of limited it a little bit and kept the the right to access abortion more or less intact, um, with several even Republican judges signing on with with that opinion. So then what happened last week was that the US Supreme Court at the end of this very long road, this very long effort by Republican lawmakers to appoint judges that would 
affect this result has overturned the, the 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 case and it's no longer the law of the United States. There's no longer a right to abortion deriving from the US Constitution. And in the recent decision, how did it end up on their desks in the first place? So in many ways, lots of states have wanted to put this issue before the court in uh, the most direct way possible to essentially come up with laws that are clearly unconstitutional under Rowan Wade. They don't respect the the, the Rowan Wade judgment. They restrict abortion in a way that Rowan Wade and, and Casey after it said was problematic. And so in this case known as Dobbs, the US Supreme Court was faced with a law from Mississippi, which essentially banned abortion after 15 weeks, which is not what Roe says, it's not what Casey suggests. It is a, a much more restrictive regime than the law of the, the, the United States until last Friday had allowed. And so the court was essentially faced with this direct question. Is this law unconstitutional because Roe and Casey are still the law of the United States? That's still what the Supreme Court thinks. Or is the law upheld and constitutional because to some degree or other, Rowan Wade is wrong. And the question really was how far the Supreme Court would go. There is now such a strong majority of conservative justices that I think everyone knew that Rowan Wade wouldn't survive in its uh, current form. And the question was whether or not it would be totally rolled back or there would be some compromise measure that it wouldn't remove the right completely, but it would make it more limited than it had been before. Um, it was clear, I think, when this case was argued in December, that Chief Justice John Roberts and the US Supreme Court wanted a compromise measure. But in the end, he was the only judge that wanted a, a, a compromise rolling back of, of Rowan Wade. The other five conservative justices voted to roll it back entirely. So there is no longer any right related to abortion in the US Constitution. So it's a very extreme version of overturning Roe, and it's the most sort of extreme version that was possible. Um, it's it's the, the, the most full repudiation of that judgment that you could get. So can you tell us a bit about the arguments made by the judges who were in favour of overturning Roe v. Wade? So the majority in this case was made up of the sort of five most conservative judges on the court, led by Judge Alito, who gave the majority ruling on behalf of uh, him and, and four of his colleagues. And essentially their argument is that Rowan Wade was fundamentally wrong, that it just got the constitution wrong. It's incorrect. The argument in Rowan Wade was that in the 14th Amendment, which was passed after the Civil War in the US, there is a protection of due process. And in the 1960s and 70s, the US Supreme Court expanded this concept of due process, a doctrine that was called substantive due process, when they said it doesn't just mean that the law has to treat you fairly. It also means there are certain liberties that the law has to respect and protect. It's not just about the law being procedurally fair, it also has to be substantively fair. And in that, one of the things that it protected was a right to privacy. 
the court in Dobbs and the conservative majority basically says that's wrong, that the Roe court was incorrect in deciding that the 14th Amendment could protect this right to privacy and that it could go so far as to include anything connected to abortion, that that was simply an incorrect decision. Their argument is that at the time that the 14th Amendment was enacted in the uh, late 1800s, there was no idea that due process or liberty extended so far as to have an abortion, that it's not part of the sort of American constitutional tradition or understanding that that would be the case. So essentially, their basic argument is that Roe is fundamentally wrong in its reasoning and thinking. And even though there is a doctrine of precedent where you try to respect decided cases, the court recognizes that sometimes you have to not respect precedent and roll it back. And they said that this was such a case, that Roe was uh, uh, so incorrect in its reasoning and they feel so harmful in denying states the the opportunity to legislate for abortion in the way that they see fit, that it had to be overturned, it had to be rolled back. So the majority's view is basically that this whole line of case law on substantive due process was a bad idea, uh, not properly fitting with the US Constitution and had to be undone. And this is exactly what they did. And the Chief Justice, John Roberts, he had a different opinion to those other five judges. So what was his take? Yeah, Chief Justice Roberts concurred in the judgment insofar as he was willing to uphold the law in question, this uh, Mississippi law that that limited um, uh, abortion after 15 weeks. But he wouldn't have gone quite so far as to completely overrule Rowan Wade. What the majority has done is basically said that there is no right that relates to abortion in the 14th Amendment. Chief Justice Roberts wouldn't have gone quite that far. He would have said that Roe was uh, uh, perhaps too extreme in his view, that the right that might be protected can't be that extensive, and that the balance struck in this law before the court was acceptable and that that law could be upheld. But he wouldn't have rolled back the Roe precedent entirely. There would have been some constitutional limits on how states could legislate for abortion. In the majority opinion, there are very, very few, if any, that they see uh, stemming from the Constitution in terms of limits on what states can do. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts didn't want to go that far, and it seems likely that he tried to convince some of his Conservative colleagues to join him in this view, that there could be some sort of compromise without rolling back Roe entirely. But in the end, he was the only judge that felt that was the case. Uh, His five Conservative colleagues went with their more extreme opinion and the three Liberal justices dissented. So what will all of this mean now in practice for somebody who wishes to terminate a pregnancy? So it means that people are very much uh, subject to the varying laws that will now be passed in their particular state. The Supreme Court is largely opting out of any uh, judicial regulation of the content of that law and how 
that law is implemented and enforced. From a constitutional perspective, the majority of the Supreme Court doesn't want to get involved with that question. And that means that there will be probably 50 different abortion regimes across America. Some will be the same as they were before Rowan Wade. Some will be very, very different, very restrictive. And even though, as as you mentioned, there has been a general um, uh, uh, statement that states don't want to prosecute pregnant people uh, getting abortions, they want to prosecute providers, there is no guarantee that that will be the case. So every state will make its own rules Uh, Some of them will be extraordinarily restrictive and people in those states that want to use abortion services will have to either travel at potentially very significant expense that they may not be able to afford to other states that do provide those services or as many people uh, did in this country before the Eighth Amendment try to procure uh, abortion pills or uh, uh, other services that would uh, uh, allow them to terminate their pregnancies in a, an unregulated way because their states will not allow them to uh, procure abortion services lawfully at all. Other states, of course, will will compromise somewhere in the middle. So it really will be uh, a vast diversity in terms of what's allowed in different states of the US uh, after they have had a chance to respond to this ruling by passing new laws. And did the ruling in any way deal with what are often referred to as the difficult cases where, for example, there's a threat to the life of of the mother uh, or in cases of rape or incest? And is there a danger in leaving something like that vague and then allowing states to to fill in the details afterwards? Yeah, I think there is a a real danger. Uh, I know that that states will uh, attempt to protect the life of a pregnant person in terms of trying to regulate abortion. But I think we know well in this country that's much harder to do than it seems. That provision of uh, uh, termination can be necessary in all sorts of medical situations to preserve life, but it can be hard to make that judgment. It can be hard to know where the legal line is. And again, we have with with tragic consequences in this country, the realization that people can be left in situations where their life may be in danger, but but a service that might have saved them is 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 not available. So that will, I think, be a huge problem uh, for states in the US to deal with. Again, something that Ireland grappled with or, or failed to grapple with in the years after the Eighth Amendment. And so I, I think that would be exceptionally difficult. There's then also, as you mentioned, questions around cases of rape, incest and, and fetal abnormality. And again, this is going to be up to states to regulate. And we discussed extensively in the run up to the Eighth Amendment how incredibly difficult it is to provide for exceptions like that in law. So even states that want to provide for exceptions in those cases, it can be very difficult in terms of what uh, evidence you want from people in order to avail of those uh, uh, exceptions. And people may be very, very unwilling to uh, try and Uh, use those services, even if they're available, if what's expected of them is, uh, you know, to to provide evidence that's very difficult to provide, or maybe very traumatic to provide. So I think it's a huge problem for US state legislatures to grapple with. And I'm not sure 
they are fully aware of how difficult it is going to be to provide for those cases, even if they want to. And I think we will very sadly see uh, lots of uh, instances in the United States where laws fail to do that well and very, very unfortunate consequences result. And what about travel between states? Did the ruling in any way deal with that, for example, for somebody who might travel to uh, a more liberal state to access termination services? Yeah, the ruling doesn't specifically address this, but it did seem like there was not a majority of the court that would be willing to restrict travel. So there was another judgment written by a a, a conservative judge, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, which was of interest. Judge Kavanaugh sided with the majority opinion, so wanted to roll back Rowan Wade entirely and leave it to states. But he did give some indication of what he wouldn't agree to. He said, for example, that he didn't believe the US Constitution could be read as uh, prohibiting abortion, protecting the the right to life of of uh, 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 the unborn, as we did in the Eighth Amendment, and um, he specifically said he didn't feel the U.S. Constitution said that either. It had nothing to say about abortion. Perhaps trying to preempt a case where the Supreme Court is asked to essentially recognize that right to life and create a form of the Eighth Amendment in a sort of a nationwide constitutional limitation. He said he didn't believe that was the case. And he also said that there was a right to travel between states in the US and that could not be restricted just because the person was traveling to procure uh, abortion services, essentially trying to preempt something like the X case in Ireland at a future date. Now that's not a, a binding ruling, because that wasn't what the case was about. It's it's more of a, a comment on what he would do in future. But it does seem that if states tried to prevent their residents from traveling to secure abortions, the US Supreme Court would not have a majority of its members thinking that that was constitutionally acceptable. Uh, it's quite possible a state will try to do that. And that case will come before the Supreme Court. But it seems that obviously the three liberal dissenting judges that didn't agree with any part of this, and probably Judge Roberts and Judge Kavanaugh would find that it was unconstitutional to restrict travel uh, on this ground. So that's perhaps unlikely to survive if a state tries to do it. And does this ruling have any implications for other rights that are now considered to be protected by the Constitution, like gay rights or contraception, for example? The majority judgment says that it doesn't. They disclaim an impact on other precedents. They try to say that that's not what they're talking about. And Judge Kavanaugh does that as well, specifically in his judgment. But the problem is the logic of the judgment, and the liberal dissenters point this out, has huge potential consequences for other rights as well. Two really uh, important ones Uh, three really important ones, would be rights to access contraception, rights to same-sex physical intimacy, and same-sex marriage. Those are all things that have been held to be protected under the same doctrine as Rowan Wade. So the right of contraception recognised before Rowan Wade in a case called Griswold in Connecticut, the right to same-sex physical intimacy recognised in a case called Lawrence in Texas, and the very famously 
same-sex marriage recognised in the Oberfell case in 2015. They're all in the same doctrine, essentially, as the Rowan Wade case. And so if Rowan Wade is incorrectly decided, if there is no right to privacy in your personal life under the 14th Amendment, if there is no substantive due process doctrine, then those other rights don't exist either. That's the logical implication of the judgment. And so the dissenters say the majority is you know, either confused or lying about the consequences of this. And one of the conservative justices, Clarence Thomas, who's in many ways probably the, the most conservative of, of the judges in many respects, he specifically said that those cases, Lawrence, Griswold and Oberfell, should be reconsidered, that the whole line of substantive due process cases should be uh, up for reconsideration by the court now that they've decided that uh, this was not a, a correct understanding of the US Constitution. So in future years, it's quite possible that we could see the Supreme Court revisiting those issues as well. That's not you know, immediately foreseeable at the moment, but unfortunately the logic of the judgment does suggest that those rulings I think would be uh, uh, open for revisiting. And I want to ask you about the US Constitution itself. How does it compare to the Irish one in the way it deals with these kinds of areas of law and how easy is it to change what's in the Constitution? It's a very different document in lots of ways. It's very, very old and it doesn't contain as much specificity on rights and, and other matters as, as our constitution. It speaks uh, even more generally uh, by virtue of its age. So, so it is in many ways a, a very different document. It's also a very different document because it is incredibly difficult to change uh, without sort of boring you with the amendment procedures. It needs a supermajority both in Congress and of the states agreeing to an amendment. The last amendment that was passed was ratified in the early 1990s and was a very minor uh, sort of procedural sort of change related to, to Congress. It's hard to imagine a controversial amendment to the US Constitution being passed uh, in any circumstance at the moment, given the level of division that is present in US politics. It's hard to see how you could agree uh, a change to that document. There's another mechanism for amending it, uh, sort of calling a, a sort of a constitutional convention, but that is unlikely to happen and again would provoke huge disagreement if it did. So it is one of the most difficult to amend constitutions in the world. Uh, I think it's it's far too difficult to amend. I think when a constitution is that uh, rigid and unable to be changed, you risk a constitutional illegitimacy where, you know, the, the dead hand of the past is governing the present. So a lot of constitutional scholars and scholars of constitutional amendment would hold up the US as a really bad example in terms of constitutional design, where it's just so, so difficult to change. You need to adapt your constitution to changing circumstances. You need to respond to some degree to, to the popular will when, when there's desire for constitutional change. And the US constitution is so extreme in its amendment processes, it really doesn't, doesn't allow for that at all. And it had been argued prior to this ruling that Roe v. Wade was vulnerable. Is there anything that could have been done uh, to solidify this right in US law? Yeah, it, it was 
vulnerable in a couple of ways. One, the reasoning of, of Rowan Wade was long criticised. It, it, it um, was perhaps even for, for supporters of, of the judgment, not the, the best argued um, uh, uh, judgment in the US Supreme Court's history. There might have been better ways to try to recognize a right to abortion. One is often said to have been the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment, which guarantees essentially equal protection of the law. And if focusing on the equality effects of pregnancy, there was another way to recognize uh, 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 that right, that might have been argumentatively slightly sounder than the, the the reasoning in Roe itself. But in the end, I, I'm not sure that hugely matters. You're facing a, a conservative majority on the US Supreme Court that doesn't want this right uh, at all. This isn't a case of they think the argumentation is a little weak and it could have been a bit better. They just don't want it recognised. So even though perhaps it could have been improved upon. I don't think that makes a huge difference in terms of this particular case. On the other hand, what could have been done is that Rowan Wade or, or, or something functionally like it could have been protected in legislation by the federal government. There could have been some federal legislation guaranteeing access to abortion in a similar manner to Roe, guaranteeing that every person in the United States would have a certain level of access. There was never the political uh, will or enthusiasm or ability to pass that law. And perhaps Roe wasn't so directly under threat at times when there would have been a, a strong majority in favor of that, that that ever came high on the legislative agenda. But Congress probably should have acted if, if members of Congress felt strongly about defending uh, access to abortion to try and pass some nationwide law. Now, not to get too into the, the constitutional ins and outs of America, but that would raise a very interesting question, which the US Supreme Court would probably then deal with, which is, does Congress have a power to legislate for provision of uh, abortion nationwide? Congress in the US, the national government has limited powers and the conservative judges in the Supreme Court want to hold it very strictly to those limited powers. So even a law like that could potentially be, be vulnerable to challenge in the Supreme Court. But certainly if there had been a desire to defend Roe and defend what Roe granted to citizens of, of the US and to residents of, of every state, then action could have been taken legislatively to try and ensure that. So could this ruling be overturned? Is that it now for Rowan Wade forever? It's certainly possible that, you know, as, as this case shows, any issue can be revisited and a change in personnel can bring about a different result. That was one of the things the dissenters really criticised in this case. They said Rowan Wade's been overturned just because new people came along on the Supreme Court, nothing else has has changed. If you you know make a, a a very different Supreme Court, you could have some rolling back on on this case and a restoration of something like Roe. It, it, it's hard to see that happening in any imminent way. Uh, there was only three votes from the Liberal justices to retain Roe. There was six votes either to get rid of it entirely or, or to partially get rid of it. So it would require a significant change in personnel with the Democrats picking the judges, the Democrats being uh, in power in order to, to have any chance of 
rolling back on Dobbs. The other possibility, which does sometimes get discussed, is the idea of sort of packing the Supreme Court, that you could appoint loads more judges. This is something that Franklin Delano Roosevelt threatened to do when he was having a standoff with the Supreme Court over the New Deal back in the, the 1930s. Uh, and didn't quite happen, but but it is, it is possible. And that's something that's discussed uh, in terms of the democratic response to Rowan Wade and to this conservative Supreme Court. But that would be very controversial would create a huge political fight and would perhaps undermine even further what little authority the US Supreme Court has left if every new uh, president and and Congress maybe packs the Supreme Court more. So it it would have presumably other uh, long-term effects on the US political system. So it's not clear at the moment if that's going to be pursued. So I would say no imminent prospect of Roe being returned, but never say never, you know, 50 years after uh, Rowan Wade, you have it overturned. At some point in the future, you could have another turnabout again. And before we finish up, I want to do a bit of a recap for listeners on our own abortion laws in Ireland. And we had a referendum in 2018. So what's officially been written into our constitution? Yeah, the, the Irish abortion debate is actually really intimately bound up with Rowan Wade. Uh, The origins of the Eighth Amendment really are Rowan Wade. If you look back at how the Eighth Amendment came about, uh, people arguing for it expressed as one of their chief concerns, not that the legislature might change the law on abortion, but that the Supreme Court might do it. Uh, We had had a a case, very famous case called the McGee case, which legalised contraception by virtue of a constitutional right to privacy. That had been done in Griswold in the US a few years before. And people said, well, if the US Supreme Court next went to abortion, maybe our Supreme Court would do the same. Now, I don't think that was terribly likely in 1983, but at the same time, the people who wrote the Eighth Amendment were doing it really in a way as a response to to Rowan Wade and a fear of judicial change. So that led us obviously to have as people know, the right to life of the unborn written into our constitution in 1983 with some very uh, difficult consequences in terms of what that meant and some very uh, complex judicial opinions having to come down to, to elaborate on the meaning of that. And then that was removed by referendum in 2018. And what we replaced it with, we didn't sort of remove it entirely, was a statement essentially that the legislature gets to Uh, regulate the question of termination of pregnancies. The idea of what we did in 2018 in in removing and replacing the Eighth Amendment is essentially attempting to put this firmly in the legislative sphere to suggest the Constitution doesn't have a great deal to say about uh, uh, abortion and to put it to the people's representatives. So We passed uh, a law in the aftermath of that referendum, which regulates the termination of pregnancies and that law being reviewed at the moment and is subject to change by our legislature. So that's what we did in 2018. Having taken out the, the right to life of the unborn, we left it to our legislature to decide what to do. If it's been left to government to legislate on this, is that really so different from allowing individual states in the US to make their own rules around it? Could we have a situation in which an extremely conservative Irish government down the line moves to ban abortion? Yeah, so there is, it is similar in that way. There is no constitutional 
right to abortion in Ireland that we didn't put it in in 2018. It's never been recognised by the judiciary. Uh, So there is no right here. Uh, And so certainly a future government can can change the law. That that is what the effect of the 2018 referendum is. What I suppose is very different about the US situation is the vast diversity in views uh, between states. And so what was lost as well as a a constitutional right with the Dobbs decision was relative uniformity. Access to abortion provision was at least similar across the states under Roe and Casey, and it will now be wildly, wildly different. And so there will be a huge difference in treatment between people who live in different states, even though they live in the same country. And so Ireland being a a small non-federal state, we only have our uh, national legislature that makes laws for the country. And we're a small enough country that we can have national debates on these questions of policy and resolve it nationally. That's going to be very different in the US now. There will not be a a national abortion policy unless um, the US Congress uh, attempts to to legislate for that. And I think that will be one of the, the things to watch is will there be a concerted effort to try and pass laws that will try and provide for nationwide uh, standards for abortion provision in America? What will the controversy be around that? Will that get challenged before the US Supreme Court? All of those are things to watch in years to come. Yeah, and we'll obviously be watching that really closely. David, I want to thank you so much for explaining all of that. It's such a complex area and I think you've broken it down really well. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to David for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. Or leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.